me, why do we set it aside a certain day to gather as the people of God to worship? What does it mean? Why do we call it a service? Why do we even say, I'm going to Sunday service? What does that mean? And why is there a picture and a command in the scripture that says, do not forsake the gathering of God's people, as is the habit of many? Apostle Paul writes, do not forsake this gathering, especially as the day of the Lord draws closer. Keep this day holy. Keep this day set apart. Keep this day as a day where you're serving God, serving each other, and being served by God. We're going to answer some of those questions, and I think it's an important question in our culture, because I think that in the church even, and in our culture today, I would say that Sunday is losing its preference more and more and more and more. Wouldn't you agree? That before church parking lots were filled and families' main priority Sunday morning is how do we get ready and get ready to go to the house of the Lord to worship God? You notice that most stores weren't even open on Sunday back in the day. Just everything was closed. It was day of rest and devotion and worship. And what has happened through the years and through time is Other things of lesser value have got our attention and got our hearts. And we do that on Sundays. And we reverence that on Sundays. You see this during football season, right? What would you say is the most sacred day and sacred activity for men in New England on Sunday during football season? They don't want people talking to him. Don't try to schedule anything, right? Don't you dare try to get Patriots on one. Are you crazy? That's holy. Right? One of the things my father said to me, he said, I don't do anything on Sunday but watch football during football season. What a joy it brings to me. That was his reverential day of worship. I mean, his heart, his affection, his time, his schedule, everything was set aside. Nothing happens on that day. I want us Starting with our men leading, that Sundays are a day that we call the Lord's Day. And nothing else is going to get in for our affections on that day. Amen? So every week, there is a date night in my marriage. Right? It's not mandated by Scripture. It is not. You can't find it in Scripture and verse. But it's something that I've seen healthy marriages do, right? The set aside one night a week, we have the grace of God and the joy of God that the kids go over Mimi and Papa's on Wednesday night. So it's not just a couple hours. It's a whole night. You understand me? This is serious. And so every Wednesday night, me and Natalie go out on a date. We enjoy each other. We enjoy rest. We serve each other. That builds up our marriage. It's sacred. Like, we don't schedule anything else on Wednesday nights. Like, if people say, what are you doing on Wednesday night? I'm like, date night. Because that's become sacred because my marriage is that important that I need to build into the DNA and the fabric to guard my marriage to make sure, number one, and this is where some of us go astray, where our kids go above our wives, right? Where we say, my kids, them, their, you know, husbands, we need to make sure our wives are first priority. So we instituted a date night. 
And then that date night, my wife is above all. I hope she thinks I'm above all. You've got to ask her. And we guard our marriage, and nothing gets scheduled during that time. It's sacred. Work doesn't get in the way because people can do that too. I'm working so much that we don't have a time for date night. Or this is just going, I'm so tired. Like, I fight all those things away. Me and Natalie do that together, and we say, this time is sacred. Do you know what the byproduct of that is? We've been married 14 years with a happy and healthy and enjoyable marriage, right? There's no ball and chain talk, right? I'm not all my friends like this. She is again making me go to date night. I should be out eating steaks, you know? I'm like, I enjoy date night. I enjoy my wife. I enjoy the time. And this is why I want to bring this up. I guard that, and even though it's not mandated by Scripture, the byproduct of that is my family's healthy. Because when my wife's first, when we are first, then our kids are blessed by that. Our household is blessed by that. The church is blessed by that. Everything falls into the right priority, right? When you care for your marriage, is the best thing you can do for your wife. A wife can do for a husband. Um, parents can do for their kids. People can do for their communities. Okay, now let's talk about priorities of church, right? This is totally different. If you don't have a date night, you're not being disobedient to Scripture, right? So everyone has said, man, I'm in sin, no date night. It's not true. I say date night would be healthy for you, but you can't go to Hebrews and say you've got to have a date night. The Scripture says, gather with God's people and do not forsake the gathering. So that's a mandate from the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit that we have to adhere to, right? So when it comes to that gathering which our primary gathering is on Sunday, what happens when other people try to schedule stuff in? Say, what are you doing on Sunday? What should be our answer? That's the Lord's day. I ain't even playing around. Right? And I want to ask you, if you were going to put the Super Bowl against Easter, what would you say was a more sacred Sunday in New England? When more people go be watching the Super Bowl, having Super Bowl parties. Yes, thank you, Jen. And if someone said to you they're not watching the Super Bowl, what kind of look do you give them? What's wrong with you, dog? Get your life together. I had wings. I had this organized three weeks before. We were flying people in. Right? But what when it comes to Easter or every Sunday. What happens with Easter sometimes? Other things can get in the way, right? Now, I want us to look at every Sunday as Super Bowl Sunday for Christians. That's what I'm really trying to get us to think about here. I want every Sunday to be guarded like we would guard the Super Bowl in New England. I want every Sunday to be guarded because God has called us to that and the fruit to that. Now, we have more people in Restoration Road's life than we've ever had. We have 105 men and women and children who call this church home. 105. That's outstanding. I'm happy about that. But for the first time in our lives, in our church's lives, we've had some people, and please hear this today. This is not a condemning message. We are growing by conversion growth. Do you guys hear me? We're not getting people from other churches who already know the process of church. That's how you want to grow a church is conversion growth. We've baptized 33 people over the past four years, most of them who are still with us. So people are learning Christianity from the ground up. 
That's good. That's awesome. But we need to learn things like this when it comes to not forsaking the gathering. So if you're someone who missed Easter or is not coming regularly, this is not a time for you to sweat, but a time for you to learn and say, let me analyze my heart and see how I'm following Jesus. Does that make sense, guys? I want that message to be heard this way because I want you seeing the power in our obedience if we don't forsake. For example, if a church has 400 people, And those 400 people show up every week. There's 400 people, right? That's powerful. If those 400 people, only you only come twice a month, you know what the average attendance is? 200 people, right? And so we have 105 people. So people come once or twice a month or once every six weeks. What does that do to our attendance? You end up getting 60 or 70 people, right? The question is, what happened to those other 35, 40 to 50 men, women, and children on that Sunday, who are not sick are in the Florida Keys, right? The question is, what got them that day? Was the weather that nice? They're <laughs> like, it's too nice. Call Sunday service off, right? Because that's what happens. You gather for what you enjoy. So if you enjoy outdoors more than you enjoy the gospel and the weather's nice, you're hiking, You're like, man, I got to call my hiking buddies on Sunday. If you love sports and that brings you more joy than the gospel does, and there's a sporting event, listen, someone jokingly but seriously said, Joey, do you want Celtics tickets to today's game? you got to understand me. I love the Celtics. I called the comeback. I sat with Red. You saw the Faneuil Hall photo. But I could care less about seeing Isaiah Thomas cross over when it comes to glorifying God on Sunday. I could really care less. Some of us put our family above Sunday. So if it's a family obligation, we will forsake the gathering for family. And what happens when that happens? Our priorities are out of line. So all of these things war for our hearts on Sundays. And the statement that is made by the body of Christ when the pews are filled on Sunday is that God is most valuable. Do you guys hear that? What does it say when pews aren't filled? No, we're growing. This is a good Sunday. Don't get me wrong. They give us a 400-person sanctuary. Give us some time. What does it say when you look out at the pews and the seats and the sanctuaries and the halls that people worship in and no one's in them to worship God? What does it say? It says other things are more valuable, right? What I want for Restoration Road is, what I want for Restoration Road is for our Sundays, not only just in body, in the seats, but hearts for the gospel that it attests that God is more valuable than sports, family, hiking, hobbies, weather, anything like that. Because what we're called to do is push back on a culture that wants to value other things above God. That's the call of every Christian, to be a light in the darkness, to push back on different mentalities, right? You know how this got like this, the people forsaken Sundays? Little by little, some dude who was persecuted back in the day said, I'm not going going to church this Sunday. I'm playing baseball. And dudes were like, you can't do that. Then all of a sudden, a year later, another dude was like, I'm pretty good in center. He's like, I ain't going either. And little by little over the past 30, 40, 50 years, the culture in the church has forsaken things that actually filled them more than God filled them, right? Do you guys hear the heart of what I'm trying to get at? Imagine Restoration Road, 
with other churches, painting a picture and making a stand that our Sunday are the Lord's day and for God's al- God alone. Amen? So let's turn to Hebrews 10, 24 and 20, 25. Actually, 23 through 25. I'm sorry. Andrew almost had a heart attack. Maybe not. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love God and good works. Now hear this. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now do you guys see the command there in Scripture? The call there in scripture? Let's start here. Why on Sunday do we have our largest meeting and most prioritized meeting? You ever guys ask that? Why, why aren't we having Wednesday at 11? Why aren't we calling everyone to be here? So everyone understands that our faith comes from, is rooted in the Hebrew tradition. Does everyone understand that? Some of you are newer. So basically, God the Father calls Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make a chosen people out of you. You're going to do things different. One of the things they did different is one out of seven of those days was a day unto God for rest and devotion and worship. Some of the customs on those days, which was Shabbat or Sabbath, they would do some beautiful things like the mother would light two candles, right? And she'd speak a benediction over the family. And the father would call all the children together and lay hands on the children and bless his children. Everyone would rest, and they would go to early days. It would be the tabernacle. They would make sacrifices for their sins and recognize that. As the years went by, they would read the Torah and the law and the words of God, word of God in in settings and gatherings. They would gather together. That evolved into the temple and now in synagogues and all that stuff. Does anyone notice in Hebrew tradition, though, they meet on Saturdays? That Saturday is the last day of the week for them, Okay. In the Hebrew week, there's no Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's that they keep it real simple, like Genesis 1 simple. It's called the first day. So Sunday is the first day, Monday is the second day, and on and on. So they'd be like, how are you doing on this third day? That's how they roll. We got our uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday from Babylonian culture, went to Constantine, and so they're named after like mythological gods, like Tyr, the son of Odin, is Tuesday. Woden was another deity, was Wednesday. Thor, one of the Avengers, was for Thursday. Frigga was the wife of Odin, so they gave her Friday. Sunday was for the sun. Monday for the moon. Do you guys see that? That wasn't instituted probably until real definitively into Christian culture, probably into 300 AD. So what happened was that last day, they celebrated by resting and devoting to God with beautiful acts of worship. It was set apart. Like God said in the Ten Commandments, set this apart and keep it holy. This is how serious it got in the Old Testament. They were killing people that weren't keeping the Sabbath holy. Now, you're not going to die if you go on a hike on Sunday, right? But it was so serious that God said, this day is so serious that there's punishment that if you don't observe this day, but it's a day unto me for rest and devotion, Okay? And so what happened is why do we meet, why don't we meet on Saturday then? Now, there's nothing sinful about having a service on Saturday. In our culture, you know, most services on Sunday and all that kind of stuff would move us towards meeting on Sundays. There's a lot of Jesus loving church that meets on meet on Saturday. But you'll see people like the Seventh-day Adventists 
and you'll see people in synagogue, they make Saturday the priority and say you can't even meet on Sunday. There was a switch in the early church, if you look in your Bibles, where people stopped meeting on Saturday and started meeting on Sunday. So this is the why Sunday answer. If you turn with Acts 20, verse 7. I'll give you a second to get there because it's something powerful for a person with their Bible. It says, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. What pattern? What is the first day in the Hebrew calendar, what we just learned? Sunday. Do you see the switch there? All of a sudden, that breaking of bread many times was talking about communion. And if you think anyone preaches long, Paul was preaching almost until midnight. Paul didn't play around. People were falling out windows because they were falling asleep. That brother just kept preaching. He was on a mission. So if you think 25 minutes is long for me, that's grace for God to you. Let's turn 1 Corinthians 16 too. I want to see the switch in the early church, why they went from Saturday to Sunday. I'll give you 10 seconds. We've got to stop. We've got to get quick. It says, on the first day of every week, each of you shall put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. What do we see that again? First day of the week, Sunday, Apostle Paul says, put something aside as an offering financially to give to the church as an act of worship. So we see two accounts, right? Two accounts where the Saturdays move from a Sunday. So we see it happens in the early church. Apostle Paul, the main gathering, the set-aside day, the day of worship devotion is on Sunday. Now, why did they move it to Sunday? What was the unbelievable, probably, yeah, most dynamic, powerful event in human history in a Christian's life? The resurrection of Jesus, right? Because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, we worship on Sunday. Because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday and went from Saturday to Sunday in the early church. Because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, we get the bread and we get the cup and we celebrate his death and resurrection. Because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, we set this day apart. Do you guys see that right there? All of a sudden, you're at lunch, you're at dinner, people ask what you do now, and you're about to break them down like Woden is Wednesday and mythology, you know. But that's important under the, under the surface to know why you're doing it. It's not a good answer to say, I go to church on Sundays because my parents went. Why did they go? Right? Why do you guys meet on Sunday? I don't know. Ask Pastor Joey. Right? We're going to start getting equipped. So we're out. We're at family meetings. We're at lunch. We're at dinner. And all of a sudden, what's God say? Man, I'm turning into a theologian. Because everyone's a theologian. And some of us aren't good theologians. Right? We're going to grow in our faith and understanding why we do what we do. Now, why do they call it a service? Have you ever asked yourself like that, about that? Some place they call it gatherings. Other place they call it mass. There's a new movement to call it an experience. Right? Come to our Sunday experience. Right? So let me tell you, starting with experience, I don't want to knock anyone who says experience, but I think that's a bad way to start because it's consumerism, Christianity. It's saying, first and foremost, church is about you. And church isn't about us primarily. It's about the glory of God, right? 
Now, there's a lot of Jesus-loving churches that say experience, but why we don't do that at Restoration Road is because I don't want the first thing we're thinking is, what do I get out of church, but what can I give in service to glorify God and serve others? Secondly, one of my favorite pastimes of Restoration Road is hear people call the service mass. Now, I am not mad at that. I laugh at it. I enjoy it. I hope it keeps going to a degree. You know, at our baptism service weeks ago, I was changing to do the baptisms, and I heard a mom run after a kid, and she said, you better quiet down. You're going to disturb the mass. And I was like, this is awesome. This is awesome. People come up to me after and say, man, great mass, Pastor Joe. I say, amen. But you know there's a big theological reason behind why Catholic Church calls it mass. Do you know what it is? It's because of the understanding of the doctrine of transubstantiation, which means when they give the bread and body to the body of Christ, they believe it's the actual physical blood and body of Jesus. So they think that's the actual, I'm talking like if you ripped flesh off Jesus on the cross and ate it, they believe that is happening when you take communion. That when the priest prays, that cracker and that wine is turning into those things physically. And it only looks like those are those things, but they're not. And so when they give out communion on Sundays, the mass... When they give, everything is centered around that. When they give out that, they're actually, that is instituting and giving out things like salvation and life. And that's why they say Catholic Church doesn't come, the Catholic Church says salvation doesn't come through just profession your faith in Jesus. But salvation actually comes through the Catholic Church. So things like communion and stuff like that are salvation being dispersed and life being dispersed. And you will literally drink. Do you guys hear that? So that affects theologically why, you, why they call it Mass, right? There's a reason theologically why we call this a Sunday service. And I, have you ever asked yourself that? Why is it called a service? Well, this is what I want you to hear. It's very simple but very p- powerful. On Sundays, we gather first to serve God with our worship. And we'll unpack that. Secondly, we gather because God does serve us. And it is about us to a degree, but always in a secondary manner because God is primary. And thirdly, because we gather to serve each other. So service to God, God's service to us, and service to each other, it is a service. So let's talk about that service to God first. Why did God give you eyes? You might see just the regular reasons to see. But he gave you eyes to see his majesty, his grace, and his glory so that you might magnify him. Why did he give you hands? He gave you hands so you could work and a mind so you could work, so you could cultivate, so you could give, so those hands could give to glorify and give weight to him. Why did he give you legs? He gave you legs so you could bow them sometimes in prayer. And like David, maybe sometimes you get down and you worship, right? Everything you were given, we sing in our songs, you put breath in my lungs so I could sing your praise. You gave me words in my mouth so I could pray exalted prayers and prayers of gratitude. You are an instrument of worship. Sometimes we see only the secondary things. Oh, I got hands so I can eat. I got a mouth so I can eat. I got eyes so I don't walk into a wall. Like, we see only the physical. We don't see that everything crafted within your being, you are made to be an instrument that brings glory to God. Amen? Everything. The way you are crafted and designed in the image of God is to bring glory to God. That's why when we break down each one of these things, like singing, and we talk about singing, 
God gave you a voice, whether you sing in key or don't sing in key. He gave you a voice to lift up his name, right? He gave you words to pray to him. Like, please see that first and primarily. You know, any dad, any good dad knows that one of the greatest things that happen when you're a dad is our children use their giftings, their creativity, their faculties to make something to honor us. Have any dads ever had this happen? I was in my garage the other day. I went into the garage, had to clean it out, got a dumpster. I was just tossing stuff in the dumpster. And I looked over in the wall, and I had little things that my oldest daughter, Talia, had made me, little cards. Um, she made me just saying, I love you, and I'm thankful for you. And one was like a tie cut out. I don't want to embarrass you, Talia, but it was a tie cut out and a full shirt, and it said, you're a terrific dad. And I said to myself, that brought me glory, right? That brought me joy. I will never take those down. You understand me? I will pass away. That will still be pinned to my garage, right? There was another one. She must have been three, four, five in crayons. She just drew a picture of me and her in crayons and said, I love you, Dad. Another one, just a handprint, uh, her handprint, and it was like a Happy Father's Day card. And I was just like, wow, that she took the time to... Like Proverbs 17, 6 says, the glory of children are their fathers. The glory of children are their fathers. That's why we promote so much for guys to be good dads in the household of God. It's important. And for people to step in and be a father to the fatherless because that's so important. And I'll tell you, at that moment as a dad, I, I felt the glory and the joy that my children brought me. In a much more larger scale, when we as God's children come together and we make our little cards for God on Sunday, right? And we sing our songs and we thank him and we shed a tear or we maybe move and we give and we love. That is bringing exaltation to our Father in heaven. Amen? Does that make sense, guys? You are made to serve God on Sunday. So when people say, ah, oh, I don't really need church. Like I call people up and they'll say, don't worry, Joey, I'm praying at home. Say, what? What does that mean? This ain't about you. Church on Sunday ain't about you, right? People always use the example like it's like going to the gym. It ain't like going to the gym. You go to the gym for yourself, right? You ever have someone go to the gym for you and get you muscles? Got a tricep, someone else working out for me. That never happened to you in your life, right? It ain't like missing the gym because it ain't about you. Go to the gym so you can, you know, go on a rock port and show off. We go to church for Jesus, Amen. We go to church to worship God. It's about him first primarily. If it's about us, we'll find other things to do because our heart leads us astray. We're frail. We're weak. We're sinners. We fall away easy. We've got to say this is about Jesus. This is a corporate discipline. This isn't my schedule. Nothing's getting in there. He's worthy of all the praise, my attendance, all the glory, and we're going to do that as a church family. That's the kind of mindset. This is about being an instrument to serve him. Secondly, God serves us. It says that Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God. So if you saw Jesus, you know who God is in his character. What a wonderful, the beautiful things that Jesus showed us. He showed us that God loves to serve. You see the whole life of Jesus, he's a servant, right? He's washing people's feet. He's serving people. God in church loves to serve us. 
And one of the great mysteries in the Bible, you see, where two or more people who believe in the name of Jesus are gathered, what does it say? That God is there. One of the ways that God serves us on Sunday is we feel his presence. You know, John Stott, one of my favorite theologians, he, uh, about 90 years old, and they interviewed him. And they asked him, what makes you feel the most alive? And I want you to ask yourself this question. What makes you feel the most alive? And John Stott said, I feel the most alive when I'm in the congregation of God, singing the praises of God, because I feel the presence of God. Does anyone else have that experience? That, I'll tell you, I'm out in that world sometimes, and on 95, I don't feel the presence of God. Right? I feel the presence of, I'm going to run you off the road. No, that's Natalie, that's not me. So many times we don't, feel the felt presence of God, but when you come with the people of God and you have two or more gathered, when you come to gather with the people of God, you feel the presence of God, and he serves us, right? He serves us in other ways. He puts a preacher up here to preach the word of God to us. Your souls, your hearts are longing for spiritual food, right? You are going to try to spill that spiritual gap or that spiritual hole with other things, and those will become bad habits, Bad habits are formed when we try to fill things that are meant to be filled with God with things that are not God and of lesser value. That's what the devil does. He turns good things into ultimate things. So something that's good, like our family, can become the ultimate thing, and then all of a sudden it's idolatry. Something good, like sports, I love sports, can become the ultimate thing, and then it becomes idolatry. Do you guys, does that make sense to everyone? And so God serves us through preaching of the word. He serves us through reminding us of the gospel. One of the most important things in the ways that God serves you on Sunday is he reminds you that he loves you and you're forgiven. I hope you feel that every week you come to Restoration Road. I hope you walk out of here and say, all my sins have been washed away by Jesus. Because they have been. You should feel loved, and that's the way God serves you every week that you walk out of here and say, you know what? I thought I was doomed, but it turns out because of Jesus, I'm not doomed. He serves us in that way, and I love that, don't you? Isn't God good to us in that way? And finally, it says, let us serve each other. In that text, it says, let us consider how you serve, how you stir each other up for good works. When you come to church, one of the questions you ask yourself before you come here is, how can I stir up someone for good works? Is that one of the questions you ask? Because it says each Sunday, consider this. How do I stir my brother or sister up to keep fighting the fight? And that's why another reason, when we miss church, it affects other people because we're not here to encourage them. Then when we say, oh, I didn't need it, but you know what? Someone else needed you there. Someone else needed you there for encouragement because it's about serving one another and serving each other up. You know, and sometimes you need, you know, sometimes people at church only have about three to five connections, right? With three or five people they feel comfortable with, they talk with, they see what the, the, um, their favorite Netflix series are or how they're doing. Like they have three to five connections. And when three to five of those connections are missing, it's really hard for that person that day. They need you there to say, you came to church? You're honoring God? Keep on keeping on. Sunday is about encouraging each other to keep on keeping on. So just like 
when you see a bunch of people at a place for a certain thing, it's encouraging, right? So if you throw a fundraiser to raise money for children with disabilities and 5,000 people show up, this is encouraging. People care about the struggle of people who are handicapped. It says something. Now, if 50 people showed up in a 5,000-person auditorium, you would say, then this is really discouraging. So one of the ways we serve each other is just by being here. You know, just by being here, you're saying, wow, there's someone else that believes that Jesus died for my sins, for our sins. You know, if we had a faith and one person showed up every week and says, I believe Jesus rose again, you say, I gotta start asking myself some questions. But when you have a sanctuary filled with people say, I believe that he was born of a virgin. I believe that he was incarnated. I believe that he was sinless. I believe that he was murdered for my sins, atoning for my sins. I believe that he rose from dead. You look and say, there's someone that believes like me and encourage your faith, amen? On the other hand, it's natural to be discouraged when people don't revere the Lord's day. You know, Palm Sunday was the most encouraging, one of the most encouraging services we've had in a long time. You know why it was encouraging? Because we had a bunch of people here serving each other, loving each other. We talked about victory. We were singing more than we usually do. It was a beautiful day. We were out on the patio serving, loving, laughing with each other. And I remember that picture, and I said, what a Sunday. I said, that's absolutely, absolutely glorious. Now, on Easter, if I'm going to be honest with you, it was the same amount of attendance, but on Easter, you should smash the attendance mark, right? Like making my meatballs nice shouldn't come in the way of Easter, right? Like my sauce got to be right. I can't go. Like that, Jesus rose from the dead. I can't, meatball, Jesus rose, I can't, what? I, I can't, I can't. But instead, we had the same attendance, but we should have broke the 100 mark for the first time without a baby dedication on Easter. Because Easter should, should have been set aside for everyone to be here. Because Jesus rose from the dead and it's our Super Bowl Sunday. But instead, I found myself, I left here discouraged. Because some people had their hams cooked right, but they weren't in church, right? And I noticed some of you were discouraged because this ain't just about me. I could see some of you like, man, I thought, I thought everyone and their brother and sister, and they were going to invite someone to Easter service. I thought they were going to be here because this is, I heard people say, this is the day that's most important on the Christian calendar. And I want to say this not for you to be condemned, but for you to ask yourself a question as the follower of Jesus and saying, is my heart in the right place when it comes to gathering with God's people because of that do not forsake commandment because once again you will gather for what you enjoy what if restoration road didn't go through the summer slump this year what if we didn't go through the summer slump i've always wanted to lead a church where there wasn't like okay it's packed out for six months and then there's good weather and people are missing for four to six months what does that say about the how much we treasure god what does that say to the outside culture that if it's over 80, that we're half in attendance. Please let that not be said of us. Please. God's too glorious. And we need to shine light, not shade on the gospel. Please. 
I'm calling you. I'm urging you. I'm not condemning you. I'm calling you. Set the day apart. There is nothing more glorious than the Savior you come to worship on Sunday. You know, I I read a blog this week that said it was not good for, you know when Adam was alone, it says it's not good for man to be alone, and we think about just that wasn't good for Adam. But this man wrote a blog and made a good point and made me think about this. What if God said, it's not good for man to be alone because I want a whole family that's worshiping me? What if just like a dad who says, I want 10 kids, they're going to write me cards and I'm terrific. God said, it's not good for man to be alone because his whole plan is to make a whole family that gathers his name to lift up his holy name and is that is the most precious thing to him. What if we held on to that and we saw this time as that precious? That in closing, nothing, we scheduled nothing else during it. We gave people a funny look like, why weren't you in church on Sunday? If they said they had to work on their triceps, you said, we need to talk. Meet me on Wednesday for lunch. What if there was a healthy pressure when you didn't go to church? I mean, a God holy pressure. And what if every pew was filled to the point that we had an overflow room, not because Joe, we preached good, because Jesus was that valuable, and God gave a mandate for us to honor his day. Amen? So please, Restoration Road, in closing, I hope you learned today. I hope you learned why we gather on Sunday, why we call a service. I hope you push back on any forsaken. And I have tremendous hope that Restoration Road over the next year is going to be a place where pews are filled with people whose treasure is Jesus. Let's pray.